Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're very happy to have、uh, Mr. Macalani from Mispay with us, one of the fastest growing company in Canada at the moment. So,、uh, Mr. Macalani, hello, and welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Henry. Thanks for、um, for inviting me to the show. I'm doing great. How about yourselves?、Uh, I'm doing well. And、uh, Camila, how about you? Very well. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah.、Uh, then we'll jump straight into it since we know you're a very busy person. So. Um, b- before getting into misplay, can you tell tell a bit about your backstories,、uh, such as what was your interest as a teenager, and how did you narrow down your interest to computer science? Good question.、Um, I guess growing up,、um, I grew up playing video games quite a bit.、Uh, you know, like from, from pretty much every console,、uh, Nintendo,、uh, all the Nintendos, and, and Xbox, and、um, and the, the portable Game Boys as well. Were part of a big part of my、uh, childhood growing up. Computer science was an interest for me because my my father was actually、um, also a computer scientist and he was teaching computer science. So、uh, I grew up with kind of like being surrounded with like the latest computers and wanting to to become a programmer at a young age.、Uh, so I started, you know, building my first website when I was. Thirteen years old, and and、um, I was I was programming at fifteen.、Uh, so 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 yes,、yeah, so yes.、Yeah, so、I grew up with video games, and my father influenced me quite a bit. And、uh, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, my my parents、uh, had their own business, and my uncle had their own business. It's very、uh, my grandfather had his own business. So I was surrounded by family members who started their own companies, and、uh, so it was definitely something I wanted to do growing up. Okay, speaking speaking about your journey growing up, so you you were a Marinopolis student in pure and applied science, and you later went on to McGill University in honor software engineering. So, can you just、uh, explain some of the influence on、uh, in those education on your later careers? Yeah,、um, so I went to the reason I went to Marinopolis was it was that so when I was in high school, went to a French private high school in the North Shore. And I was interested in robotics.、Um, I'm still very interested in robotics.、Uh, and Marinopolis was one of the best CJEPs in terms of like a robotics program. And so that was actually one of the reasons I、uh, I, I went to Marinopolis and I applied there.、Um, so that's how I got into Marinopolis. I chose pure and applied because I knew I wanted to be、um, either.、Uh, I was interested in three fields. It was computer science. Uh, robotics and aerospace, and so those are the three、uh, areas or fields I was interested in, in kind of like working in. And so I,、um, pure and applied was the relevant uh, uh, field of study for for all three、um, career paths. So so that's why I did pure and applied. And when I was graduating from Marinopolis,、um, I was leaning towards either computer science or aerospace engineering.、Um, And I,、uh, it was very tough, but ultimately the the decision was based on、um, the market, and the market seemed to favor computer science.、Um, there was a lot more demand for computer scientists, and I felt like software was more of a universal skill that can be applied in the future in aerospace as well. So、um, I ended up going with,、uh, with with computer science and, and programming because,、uh, and then and then I also had entrepreneurial goals. And it seemed like、um, starting a company in a pure software company was had a lot more chances of success and seemed to have a lot more opportunities and more kind of like 
um, you know, ease of access in terms of funding. Uh, so that, that that's those are the many reasons why I went for a, a, a honor software engineering. Interesting. And so, so talking about owner software engineering, I heard you developed war games at McGill and had extensive experience with uh, programming languages such, such as HTML, JavaScript, CSS. So how did those coding experience impact your later ventures such as, uh, as we'll talk about at Microsoft or in MISPACE? Yeah, they were super relevant. I think the most relevant classes I took at McGill were all the like 500 level classes. So, the, so the, the graduate level courses were very powerful in terms of like allowing me to specialize in building and architecting scalable systems, scalable software systems. And those skills um, allowed me to, to do well, I think, at Microsoft and, or get into Microsoft at least. And then I, I use those skills still today. Classes like distributed systems and uh, software architecture and modern computer games were all like super relevant to to my job today and, and founding Misplay and, and, and even at Microsoft. And speaking of classes and your time at McGill, so during your three years at McGill, uh, you built an application called ErgoView, which allows, uh, quote unquote, uh, shoppers to compare product sizes, ergonomics, specification, and more in a 3D interactive environment. So can you uh, give us a bit more detail on the application? Yeah. Um... So I'll say that's like one of my first uh, or probably second uh, attempts to building a, a product uh, um, that 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 uh, I, I launch. Um, so so it was basically a frustration I had at the time. Um, I had ordered um, a, a a laptop and uh, the laptop was very thick. Um, it is very like uh, bulky and. It made me realize that when you're buying things online, it's hard to like, like it, it, it's hard to visualize them in in uh, like like actually like visualizing them pro like properly in a three D like it's a lot better. You take the product in your hands. You can look at every angle of the product. You can compare it side by side with another product to see if the, like a TV is thinner or not. Um, so the idea of, of ErgoView was. Um, compare laptops, TVs, phones uh, in a 3D environment. And, and so I had like probably like 50 uh, or, or 100 electronic devices at the time where you can, you can add them to this 3D space and you can compare them, uh, rotate them at, in any angle, open or close the devices, uh, compare their, their sizes. Like you can compare them in a normalized way and see if one is thicker than the other. Um, and then you can see the profile of each device and see what are the reviews on CNET and on TechCrunch and watch uh, YouTube videos about them. So it's like a one stop, one website to learn everything you can about the device uh, and compare them in, in a physical um, in a physical 3D space type of thing. Uh, so yeah, I built that, uh, launched it, and quickly got busy with um, with school and. Uh, you know, at the time, I didn't know how to, to, to do marketing. And I think that was my biggest uh, lesson was, or one of my lessons was, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't know why I didn't succeed. And at the time, I thought that you, you would build a product, launch it, and then people would just come to your product, which was not the case. Um, what I didn't know at the time was, I didn't know that marketing was a very big part of launching a, a product. And that um, it's, you know, as hard, if not harder than building the product itself. Okay, and how did you come to start this company like concretely? Did you just start coding on it alone or were there a co-founder 
So how was your process actually establishing a product? For Rugoview, it was just me by myself. I, it was actually a way for me to get really deep and get my hands dirty with programming. Um, so I would wake up at 5 a.m. every day to, take, uh, to watch like uh, tutorial videos online on how to code um, in HTML, JavaScript, um, and uh, Flash at the time. ActionScript 3.0 was the language I was using for the 3D because uh, HTML5 didn't exist yet. Um, and, uh, so I was taking those courses while wrapping up, uh, Marinopolis slash, you know, starting at McGill and, um, it allowed me to really advance my programming skills quickly because, um, building a project is the best way to learn. Uh, so for me, it was a, it was a way to get, you know, my hands really dirty with, with programming and deepen my, my, my knowledge and my skills in, in programming, um, web applications. And um, at the same time, it was my first my first step into like entre the entrepreneurial world. Um, but at the time, I was, you know, very keen on like uh, just building something that people would use. Okay. Then speaking of something that uh, it's actually uh, it's something people would use. Um, so your next venture after ErgoView, uh, which is you funded Tap2 in 2011 which was also the time you stopped developing ErgoView and uh, Tap2 was uh, later acquired by Teraway. So uh, what was your experience building this application? And first of all, what is this application? So going back again to the, 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 the why I built that. Uh, so it was, it was uh, this was back in 2010 when the idea came about. I was working, I was doing an honors degree at McGill in software engineering. And part of that honors degree um, is, is a, you have to write a, you have to do a research project. And my research project was was um, was what ended up being Tap Two. It was it's basically a collaborative note taking uh, and presentation software, online software for for teachers and students. The the frustration I had when I was studying at McGill was my math teacher and a few other my teachers they would write so quickly on the board and they would talk like towards the board as they're writing that I would have to like just copy everything they're writing down so like um, at, at high speeds and it didn't it didn't give me the chance to actually listen to them understand what they're what they're saying so I struggled with like taking down notes while listening to the teacher and understanding the what he was saying and it prevented me from like you know trying maybe to to calculate things on my own because I was so busy like copying down everything he was writing on the board and so ideally it would have been fun if I had a friend that was copying down all the notes while I could just listen and focus on what the teacher is saying and understand um, what he's trying to, to teach us. And so the idea for, for Tap2 came from that, where I envisioned like a world where every class would have these smart boards, where the teacher would write on a smart board. And as they're, they're writing on the board, whatever they're writing would appear in real time on your tablet. So I, this was 2010, so the iPad was brand new. Uh, so the, so the writing would appear on your tablet and then it would be saved in the cloud and recorded so that you don't need to worry about copying down the notes. And then you as a student can focus on what the teacher is saying and then you can add your own personal notes on top of uh, his notes. And all of that information would be saved in a web application uh, in the cloud, kind of like Google Drive, but for, 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 uh, for this scenario. And um, if ever, let's say you, you, you want to listen to something he said, you can like a DVR. You can go back in time and rewatch like the last ten minutes and hear what he was saying and see him write the notes again. 
And so that's that's the, the, the platform I wanted to build, a uh, teaching remote. And it would allow also for students to attend class from home if they're sick. And so they can join in remotely. And and and, and we, we built like a, a system where you can, you can ask questions, you can chat with other students, with the TA. Uh, so, so that's kind of like what it ended up evolving towards. It became a full learning management and collaborative uh, platform. And it was fully built in HTML5. HTML5 was brand new at the time. And, and so it was really exciting to build as a research project. It got me a good grade and it got me a job at Microsoft. And while I was at Microsoft, I ended up, uh, it wasn't even finished. Like I didn't launch it yet, but I ended up uh, selling it to um, a company in Seattle that was very involved in the education space. So I, I sold the unfinished uh, platform to them. For, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that much money. It was, it was just enough money to buy like a small car, for example. Okay. I totally thought that it turned into OneNote or something. No, 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 it didn't, it didn't turn out, no. But it was, it was, it was uh, in my opinion, better than, than OneNote for, for a lot of things. Um, but yeah, it was, I spent most of my time at McGill, most of my nights working on that. So it took a lot of my energy and I, I learned a lot by building that. It was, it was a huge learning experience. We're just going to pick up right where you left off about Microsoft. So you touch on that, how this program practically got you the job at Microsoft, but how was that really in detail? If you could give us just a bit more um, of a description of how your time was at Microsoft and how you actually got the job, that would be greatly appreciated. As I mentioned earlier, like my, my intention as a student was not to go work for a big corporate company like Microsoft. I was actually against that idea and um, I really wanted to start my own company or work for a startup. But uh, what I realized, so, so the, the opportunity to work at Microsoft came in an organic way. My friend just mentioned to me, you know, that he was interviewing at Microsoft and that I should interview too. And I asked him to connect me with the recruiter and he, he did. And I, I, I gave my resume and last minute they added me to the on-campus interview at uh, McGill. I, I, I interviewed on-campus at McGill with uh, an engineer. I specifically interviewed for the product manager, the program manager role, uh, which is like the product manager role in most companies. You know, he asked me, uh, the interview was basically, you know, it ended up turning into just a presentation of tab two. I, I just showed them what I built, the architecture I used. I, I went, I, I gave him a demo of the product. And I think that impressed him. Like it was a very like not normal interview. And the, the, the interviewer was so impressed by what I built that he immediately told me, like, we're going to fly you to Redmond and, and you'll meet people there. So that, that's what I meant by it got me a job at Microsoft is like he, the first question he asked me was like, uh, what are you like, what kind of hobbies do you do on the side? And I, I said, oh, yeah, I'm building this, this thing. Do you want to see it? And then he's like, yeah, I want to see it. So I showed it to him. And then I, he started asking me questions about how I built it. And so the whole interview ended up being just talking about that project. And I know that I knew the project so well that I, I crushed the interview by doing that. And then when I went to Microsoft on campus, I did the same thing. I just purposefully kind of took control of the interview and, and talked about my what I built. And people were, were pretty impressed by it. So they it landed me, they gave me an offer on the spot. They asked me why I didn't want to be a developer because uh, obviously I had a lot of development experience. Uh, I told them I want to be program manager because you know, eventually I want to be an entrepreneur and, and uh, program manager seems to be like, you know, the CEO of a product. Um, and so you learn that those communication skills, those 
those leadership skills and organizational skills that you would need to run a company. And so that's kind of um, why I, I decided to be a program manager instead of a, a developer at Microsoft. And yeah, like the interviewers were cool with that. They were like, yeah, like this is going to be the best experience to become an entrepreneur one day. And so it got me really excited. And I, um, I ended up going, accepting the, the job offer. I didn't accept it on the spot, but I accepted it uh, like a week or two later after thinking about it. And um, and then I moved to Seattle. Yeah. That is truly a very, um, like, how do I put it? It's realistic, yet it's so inspiring. Um, and that's so cool to see somebody so close to home in Montreal um, land such an amazing job and opportunity through such an amazing project in itself. Then I guess writing the train of entrepreneurship that you were talking about, um, what were some of your other um, point of contact with entrepreneurship, such as um, we found out that you actually started quite a few companies, but um, what were some other companies that you have started or your other experiences with um, quote-unquote entrepreneurship? Oh, I see. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so um, I guess I've already mentioned, um, you guys talked about um, Node, uh, sorry, Ergoview and Tap2, and then while I was at Microsoft, um, my uh, one of the one of the friends, one of my good friends, uh, who was also a program manager at Microsoft, he was a bit more senior than I was. Um, we wanted to build something together for fun, um, so we decided to build. Uh, so, so mobile apps was like all the hype at the time. This is back in 2013, and um, so we decided to build a um, a mobile app. The idea of the, the app was called Backflip. The premise of it was to craft what we called a flipbook. It's a five-page kind of like flipbook, digital flipbook. Actually, the, it's funny because the UI looks a lot like TikTok today. It's full. It was full screen, no Chrome, nothing. Literally the same like swiping behavior. Like you swipe up and it snaps to the next one. But the difference is that you can swipe from right to left and it would turn a page like a, like a flip book um, and it was this 3D animation. And you would have, people would have five pages to tell a story. And these, each page is a picture or a video. And so it's kind of like you have five pictures or short videos. It was 10 seconds of video max. And it was inspired by Vine at the time, uh, the short videos. And uh, an Instagram, which was photos. So we combined the two together in like a way to share. And this was before stories, like, uh, you know, like uh, Snapchat stories and Instagram stories. So it was kind of like five page stories that you can tell and uh, you can comment on and, and uh, you can like the, the stories as well. Um, so we built that. Uh, we spent six months building that after work. So we would, we would work like 7 p.m., drive from Redmond to Seattle, go straight to a coffee shop and we would code till like 3 a.m. And we would do this every day for six months. <laughs> and after six months, we were pretty burnt out um, and we launched it and um, we, we put it on Product Hunt. Uh, we put it on a few like betalist.com and a few like websites like Reddit. Um, it got some users. I think we, we got to a thousand users. Uh, it, it, people were using it. We had some like power users that were using it a lot and posting a lot. 
once again, we put zero dollars towards marketing and zero effort towards marketing other than posting it on, on Product Hunt. And we had no knowledge of marketing, uh, both of us. And it's at that moment, um, so, so two reasons why it failed is, one, we were both working at really, we both had really nice jobs that were, and we were paid very well. And so, you know, it was easy for us to just fall back on the safety net and say like, you know what, we tried, we, we were burnt out now, we're gonna focus, you know, on our careers at Microsoft and kind of like, you know, it was fun and all, but we, you know, it, it didn't take off. Uh, so it was easy to give up essentially. Like there was no like survival instinct essentially. Um, so that was one of the reasons, you know, we gave up quickly. And then the other reason is both of us didn't have that marketing expertise. Um, and we didn't even know that marketing was the problem. We just thought that once again, building a product, uh, you know, you, you build it and people will come. Like that was our, 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 our philosophy and thoughts. But little did we know that every successful product that you use today, a lot of marketing efforts and, and growth hacking efforts went behind it in the early days and, and, and today as well. Um, and so, you know, that was like, so, so when, you know, after uh, building Backflip, uh, when I decided to build Misplay, uh, you know, a few, a few years later, um, I, I did some introspective thinking and I, and I, I realized, you know what, I, I think two, those two things, one is the fact that I had a cushy job and two is the fact that I didn't know how to do marketing. I'm going to solve both of those problems. I'm going to read up a lot of books on marketing and I'm actually going to quit my job and work full time on my startup so that I have no choice to survive and, and, and succeed or else uh, I'll eventually run out of money and have to go back to, to working at a company. And so, so those are the two like big decisions I had to make um, on my next attempt to building a, a, a company. That's very interesting, actually. And I guess my uh, next question kind of relates to that. Since, you know, you quit your job, um, focus full time on this new um, startup that you have just came up with, Misplay. Um, so I guess the question would be, how did you manage to raise money for Misplay, given that it's something you built from the ground up? Yeah, um, that was another thing I, I wasn't good at was um, raising money at the time. Um, so... I, had, I wasn't surrounded by entrepreneurs or entrepreneur friends or um, like, you know, my, my parents were old school entrepreneurs. They, they funded themselves with their money. So I wasn't exposed to the whole VC world. And at the time, like Montreal was not where it is today in terms of like entrepreneur, like tech, tech entrepreneurs and like funding. There was no funding. There was not a lot of VCs. It was, it was very, you know, not, not all people knew about how to raise money. So in my mind, I had to save up a bunch of money. Uh, so what I did is I I, I, I lived in, in a in a half basement. I was paying only five hundred dollars a month for my rent in Seattle, which is a very expensive city. Uh, I was living with two roommates in a, in a house, and I was saving as much. And I got a, a a Honda Civic instead of getting like a nice car, like most of my friends got. So I was just like living as cheaply as possible, saving as much money as I can. And when I quit, I used my own savings to to bootstrap the the business, and 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 that that was just like my way of building a company. And so I never raised money until uh, end of 2017. So I, I quit my job uh, October 2015, and I was basically paying myself no salary, just kind of like obviously like buying food and all using my savings, and I was funding the company with my savings. 
and I recruited my my co-founder, and he wasn't getting paid a salary, but we were we were you know dipping into our savings too, and and then we finally found product market fit in the end of 2017. So we had to pivot like once, and when we found product market fit, that's when we uh, raised half a million dollars from a um, it was the father of a a an old classmate from Minneapolis actually. So your your friends at Minneapolis are 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 usually like. You like nearly all my friends at Marathas became successful, so I think it's a very good school to go to, and and there's a strong network that comes out of that, and I, I would definitely keep those those friends uh, close, um, because because you know you guys can help each other out in the future, and so yeah, my 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 friend's father invested, and um and also he connected us with like some people at RBC, so it helped us with getting some some uh, line a big line of credit that helped us manage our cash flows and we haven't raised ever since so we only raised one time from a super angel and we never needed to raise from vcs because we had this bootstrap mentality from the beginning where in our mind the only people that can fund us is our clients and so all of our funding came from our customers they were just paying us uh, and we made sure they would pay us quickly so that we can reinvest all of that money into growing the company and so that's that's how we uh, we bootstrapped the company, and uh, but we did raise that uh, that one round of of investment from a super angel. And um, did you guys happen to join any incubators or accelerators um, during the process? Yeah. So in 2018, so so the company was already taking off at this time. We we were making uh, over a million dollars in revenue when uh, my friend mentioned this this company this uh, incubator called Next Canada in Toronto. Now they have a, a, a division in, in Montreal, but at the time I think it was only Toronto. Uh, so in 2018, I applied and got accepted to join Next Founders, which is, it's an incubator slash um, kind of like a, 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 boot, a, a boot camp essentially for entrepreneurs to scale their mindsets and think about a bigger uh, building a bigger business than than typical comedians think about building, and so and that was actually a good good thing to do because you know it definitely like helped me scale my ambitions and my mindset in terms of what com- kind of company I want to build. And um, I didn't attend; so I, it was in Toronto, so it was hard for me to commute back and forth between Montreal and Toronto. So I only went to like three of the classes out of many, but I attended most of, of the dinners. And it helped me build a network in Toronto. Um, and as I mentioned, I went to the most important classes, which is one of them was how to assess the value of your company and how do VCs think about it. And another class was uh, really like scaling your mindset and not try like avoiding to try to build a $10 million company and try to build a $100 million plus company um, or a $1 billion company. So that, that was the, the you know, the, the one of the professors was just kind of like, drilling it in our mind that like we should think bigger than than a one million dollar company or ten million dollar company um and so that was cool and, and really helped and so that was my my uh short experience with incubators i think it was more for the network it was really also good to connect with like-minded people um being an entrepreneur could be lonely so it's it's good to to network with other entrepreneurs and, and share like what kind of struggles you're running into and helping each other out and and i've built a lot of great friends that are entrepreneurs and, and we help each other out constantly. That's seriously so awesome to hear. Um, I think we're actually going to um, 
go back a little bit in the interview. Um, you brought up your co-founder of Misplay a little bit earlier. So who was this fella? Was he a friend of yours from outside? Or how did you manage to find somebody who you could work with so well? Just how did it came about? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because... Um, uh, it's funny because um, I actually... When I was, so when I decided to start my own company, I was still in Seattle. And so I tried to convince a bunch of my friends at Microsoft to, to quit their jobs with me and start this company together. And I think I, I pitched two or three friends on this, like good friends of mine, and none of them were, were uh, willing to take that risk. It was very risky, like to quit your job and, and, and to stop getting a salary. And um, some of them were immigrants from other countries. So they had a visa and they, they were waiting for their green card. So they couldn't just abandon their green card. Even I had to move back to Canada because I didn't have a green card. So, so two of my friends rejected being my co-founder. So I, I decided at the end, after like, you know, pitching enough friends and everyone kind of like saying that they weren't willing to take that risk, I decided to just do it by myself. I quit my job, did it by myself for eight months. You know, misplay. uh, Initially, it was a testing platform for video games. So it was a very different business, business model at first. When I launched it, it didn't take off. And it wasn't until um, I launched it in March of 2016 and barely got users, tried a bunch of marketing things. Even though I, I studied a lot of marketing, um, nothing was working. I had to, but since I didn't have a cushy job to fall back to, I had to keep persisting. At some point, I was getting pretty desperate. And we were. I was actually about to give up on the whole concept. And I was... In fact, I was in Toronto. I went, I went from Montreal to Toronto and I was with a friend and we were pitching investors on a very different idea. And I was about to give up, give up on this play. I was sleeping on a mattress, on an air mattress at a friend's apartment in Toronto. And, um, and then at 7 a.m. one day, while I was pitching investors, um, my phone starts ringing, telling me basically I'm getting notifications from Amazon saying that my servers were no longer responsive. They were basically crashing and I had a lot of errors happening. And so I was like, what the hell is happening? So at 7 a.m. I wake up, I jump on my laptop and I, and I noticed that my servers were, were crashing. The misplay app was not working anymore. It was not responding anymore. And I, I was very you know, confused. And then I found out that I found out that one of the, um, some YouTuber just like talked about misplay in Brazil and, and, and misplay went viral. Like it, from, from in one day, I went from having like maybe like 500 users to 65,000 users in a single day. So my 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 art my 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 app couldn't handle that many users, um, and so it was no longer working. And it was very stressful. I went to Starbucks and I was just working like 12 hours straight trying to fix it. And 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 so at the time, it was just me working on misplay. I, I can't do it anymore uh, by myself. And I need someone to take over marketing and sales while I focus on engineering design and the, the data science part. Um, and so he was like, I knew that he was interested in entrepreneurship because he was actually asking me uh, questions about how to start his own business. And so um, he saw it as an opportunity and he, he, um, he quit his job like a, a week later at the bank. He was working at CIBC. Very good sales, talks very well and, he, and he's able to like pitch himself very well. And so I saw him as a good compliment and I thought, you know, I, I can show him how to do marketing and he could, he could be really good at uh, creating partnerships with video game companies and doing sales. 
um, and he joined me and um, and that's how my co-founder was uh, recruited. <laughs> that's so cool. Okay, so our next question um, would be to understand Misplay a little bit better as a company. So how do you guys work generally? Okay, so um, I mean, the company has evolved quite a bit. Um, the company is now five years. It's been five years since I started the company, and you know, we're we're uh, we've we've matured quite a bit. We we're now like close to seventy people. So like operating a seventy-person company versus operating a two or five-person company is is very different. You need a lot more processes in place to make sure that everyone's communicating and everyone's collaborating, making sure there's transparency and and all that stuff. So. I think that's a going like throwing a question back at you is like what phase of the company, like what stage of the company are you asking that question for? Um, I guess the one currently right now because as you mentioned, you guys have grown quite a bit, and now if you were to look up um misplay on Google Apps, it's this huge app. So, um, going from your story of being like a one man show to what it is now of like dozens and dozens of employees and people working together i was just curious of the how the working process has changed um from your perspective especially okay yeah 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 from my perspective it's interesting yeah okay cool so i guess um you know from my from my perspective initially i was literally coding the the product right i was i was you know running all the code i was uh highly involved in the design i was literally you know doing graphic design myself of the product. And um, I was talking to, you know, doing the marketing, doing the sales. Then Eugene joined, he took over all the marketing and the sales. So we we then kind of like separated those two out. I was still coding, right? You know, all the stuff, designing, doing product improvements. And then he was focused on sales and, and marketing. Um, and then eventually we hired our first uh, engineer um, from McGill. Thomas Jansen, his name is Thomas Jansen. He's still with us today. Uh, we, I worked with him very closely and we eventually built, we pivoted away from the testing model towards the loyalty model for games. So TJ built, um, he worked on the front end and I did the back end. We hired, uh, we grew the team to eight people and this is like in 2018. We, we were like maybe like early 2018 or maybe like eight to 10 people. Uh, so had a few more engineers and uh, we started building more features on the on the app, and I was still coding at the time. So I I, I kept coding till end of 2018, and then I couldn't code anymore. I had to start you know managing the team and 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 focusing on like other uh, stuff. And so today I do I no longer write code, and and so my focus is mainly I I, I you know I meet with I'm talking to investors quite a bit these days. So that's that's one of my big focuses to the banks, making sure that the, the cash flows are good. But we have a CFO that's also helping with that. Um, I focus mainly on driving the vision of the company. So thinking about the future, very involved in product. So the product design, the future of the product, I meet with the product team uh, quite frequently every week. I do a lot of work with the data, the data team a lot on like building AI models to better recommend games, um, making sure that I, I, we're building a new product right now, a B2B product. So I'm um, building partnerships. It's kind of like going back into startup mode. Um, since it's a new product, for example, with EcoPlay, we built this product called EcoPlay where we plant trees while you're playing games. Um, and I reached out to the, the, the founders of NGOs around the world, uh, you know, made agreements with them so that 
when we plant a tree on behalf of our users, we can present a certificate with the signature of the founder of the NGO uh, and, a, and a unique identifier to the, to the tree they planted to show, to show proof, of, proof of planting. Um, so, so, you know, building partnerships with CEOs of other companies is one of my big jobs and recruiting. I spent a lot of time recruiting. Uh, we just hired a director of product and uh, super excited to have him join August 9th. And uh, I was very involved in, in recruiting that person and interviewing. And I interview every single person that joins in the company. So I spent a lot of time interviewing people and uh, sourcing for people um, and uh, yeah, and talking to awesome people like you guys. I'm very flattered to hear that last part. Um, okay, so I'm sure we have a lot of business students listening to episodes like these. So um, since you were talking about talking with investors earlier, I was wondering if you could give us a tip or two on how to pitch your company to investors and banks and such. Yeah. Um, okay, so first is like you need to get in front of them, which is the hardest part. You know, to, to get there, I think it's all about networking. Like you should be on LinkedIn at, as early as possible, connect with people, connect with other CEOs and, and just say, hey, I'm a student. I'm looking to build a business. I'm looking for advice. My tip, my, my tip for, for anyone looking to raise money is never ask for money. Always ask for advice. If they, they'll, they'll, people are very generous with their time. They like to give back, especially if they're successful because Often, if you become successful, you were helped by someone else. And so you want to pass that forward. As they give you advice, if they like your business, if they'll connect you with the right investors or they'll invest themselves in your business. I think like other entrepreneurs are, uh, that have a bit of success will often be connected with investors and they can connect you uh, if you don't have your own network of investors. Uh, if not, um, I know that VCs often go to McGill. Uh, like I remember when I was at McGill, uh, VCs came to, to on campus and they were they were giving like a class uh, and it was a good way to network with, with investors. Um, there's also like accelerators like Founder Fuel uh, that you can apply to and that can get you in the door. There's Next Canada that can get you in the door. So there's there's all of these programs. Uh, Next 36 is one of them to to, for, to help students get into the entrepreneurial world. Um, so yeah, so that's like step one is like getting in front of them, which is hard. Um, investors don't like cold emails. So don't try like randomly like emailing or calling an investor. They want to see you work your network. They want to see, it's very important as an entrepreneur to be able to like uh, do networking and build your network. So build your network. Um, I think that's a whole skills skill set of its own and use your network to uh, get connected to investors eventually um, by asking for advice by um, helping people out and, and hoping people help you back. Um, yeah, so that's how you get in front of them. And then once you're in front of them, uh, that's, an, that's another kind of like chapter is like, how do you pitch? Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's like full courses on this, but one maybe tip I can give is that make sure you have an ask. Like when you're pitching a company, end the presentation with uh, an ask where you're asking for something. So you can say, I want... Um, $2 million on a uh, $10 million uh, uh, note, uh, $10 million cap um, safe safe note. So you have like a specific like ask. And then there's like, when you're raising money in a more advanced way, you can run a process yourself where you can like have multiple investors kind of like bidding for, for the investment so that you can get the best valuation 
that the market is willing to give you. And so for, for doing that, you need to time everything perfectly so that you have deadlines on when the investors can, can offer you a term sheet and that will really maximize your, the valuation you get. So that's something I learned later on. But you know, if, you, if it's your first, so, so in other words, try talking to multiple investors and try getting multiple offers so that you can get the best deal possible. And there's, there's a lot of books on, on, on how to raise money. But the course I took at um, uh, Next Canada was really good. Uh, I think there's a book, I forget what it's called. Let me see. There is a book that you, oh, it's called, yeah, it's called Venture Deals. So that's the book. So if you want to read a book and learn all about raising money, read the book called Venture Deals by Brad Feld and Jason Mendelson. No problem. We'll link it yeah. down in the description. Thank you so that. much for the answer. I think I'm going to hand it back to Henry now, who will actually focus a bit more on um, the app of Misplay itself before we wrap things up. Yeah, speaking of Misplay, um, so me and Camilla went down uh, the Google Play Store and uh, saw the reviews. Um, and what we realized was that uh, a lot of people were calling it a, a scam, but there were also a lot of people t- uh, that were calling it that was a legitimate application that you could earn uh, gift cards on. So what was your what is your take on people calling it a scam, and why do you think some people are calling yeah, it so a people scam? Yeah, so people that call it like that, it's people are getting blocked um, for, for um, fraudulent activities. You know, early on, when we started the company, one thing we realized is that if you're giving rewards or money in any way possible. So companies like PayPal, that, that were money, banks, um, Aeroplan, Cineplex, points, like literally any, uh, any Bitcoin app, like Coinbase, for example, all of these apps will encounter a lot of fraud where people uh, from all, all over the world, like hackers, will try coming in and uh, stealing uh, points um, in illegitimate ways. So they'll, they'll try creating like bots, like, like software, that will automatically, uh, like for, in, our, in our case, like they, they, they write software that automatically plays games and and pretends to play games and um, and gets they get points in, in doing that, um, and then they'll they'll automate this in at scale, uh, which allows them to get like like honestly like hundreds of thousands of dollars in gift cards um, in an automated way. So uh, early on, like I realized that got frauded for like. 15,000 US dollars in one day by a group of hackers in Vietnam when it was just me and Eugene in the company. And that was all on my credit card. Like I, I got, I, I nearly lost all my savings because of that. So it, so I quickly realized I need to be, become really good at fraud prevention and um, building software that, that can detect and differentiate humans and, and bots. It's, it's and, and it is really hard to do. It's not a perfect science. Um, so, you know, we, we, we've been trying to use AI to detect um, the difference between a human playing and, and a, and a so, like software playing. Um, and in some cases, um, the people that get blocked, they'll, they'll be really pissed off, they'll write scam. There are small, I would say there's like a very small percentage of people that might get blocked by mistake because our AI thought that they, they behaved in a weird way that, that looks like a robot, um, which might be true. But those people can reach out to our support team and, and we'll quickly unblock them. Um, what, however, what we did literally, like this is funny you guys asked this because what we did this week is um, like in March, a new kind of like, um, a new kind of like fraud appeared, very sophisticated fraud. Um, and that forced us to introduce phone verification. So we were trying to avoid asking people for their phone numbers to verify to make sure that they're they're legit and they're they're real, they're not like some fake account. Um, we've been avoiding that because it's kind of like 
uh, you know, takes time to, 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 to do that. Um, but at this point, like we just released that ability. So I think moving forward, you're gonna see a lot less of those scam messages because from now on, um, the way we verify people is just your phone number. Uh, and so it should get rid of all of the, the people that get falsely banned essentially. Uh, because we're not going to falsely ban people anymore. We're going to just ask for their phone number. If they can verify it, um, they won't be banned. So I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, it, it's it's really it's it's a problem that's really hard to solve technically, and um, we're, we're we're working really hard to solve it. And some people are like li like literally people in you know in Vietnam that are not supposed to be able to access Mesplay. They're using VPNs. They're using um, auto clickers and all kinds of software to to pretend, and then they get pissed off when we block them. Some of, some of those reviews are, are people like that, and other reviews might be kind of like uh, real people that are getting banned by by mistake, uh, and that's our bad. And we're we're getting better at it. And as I mentioned, with phone verification, we I think it's gonna uh, remove that problem altogether. And we can already see our rating is at about, like close to four point five now with our latest release. In, in version 5.20 uh, because of phone verification. So so we're really excited for that. So I think those reviews will go away in the next uh, three months, I think. Yeah, and speaking of uh, your customer support, so um, I'm going to read a review from Google Play Store here, and uh, I want your take on this since you're only a 70% team and um, customer support might be difficult given yeah. the size of your company. So uh, I'll start the quote. Uh, so quote: uh, the app was actually good. Uh, the app was actually a good way to waste time and re I redeemed two gift cards uh, not too long after I started using the app. Uh, why? When I tried to redeem a third gift card, I'm suddenly blocked and told that some activity was detected that is prohibited in the terms of use. I honestly don't know what activity they're referring to. I've asked for some kind of information, but they have yet to get back to me and let me know what I did for my account to be blocked. Update. I did contact customer support and had no help in finding answers or anything else, so I deleted the app. So uh, what is your comment um, on your current status of customer support or whether uh, that review was legitimate or was it some hackers getting um, yeah, more so or less pissed off? Yeah, so that goes back to like us. So as I mentioned earlier, like in March, uh, this is like a new thing that happened. In March, we got attacked by um, bot farms, so like these, these hackers. Um, and we had to really tighten up our security and our, our like our, the, 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 it's very um, non-deterministic um, as a system. So in some cases, there's false positives where legit users will be banned by because our AI system thinks they're, they're not legit. Um, and our support team is small. Um, and um, but as I said earlier, like phone verification uh, is allowing us right now, to pull back on some of those strict measures, those strict security measures. So we won't need to ban people anymore. We're just gonna ask them their phone number to verify it. Uh, and then we'll know they're legit if they can verify their phone number um, because it's really hard to, 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 uh, to spoof that if you're, if you're a hacker. Um, so that's kind of like the solution to that review uh, moving forward. And, um, and yeah, our support team is you know small, but they're good. I think recently they've been Overwhelmed, but um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll make sure to follow up on that. What day was the review posted? We aren't so sure, but we think it was in June. June okay, Sometimes yeah, that June. was like as I said, like we're, we're in the middle of like uh, um, dealing with a lot of that stuff right now. 
Speaking on some other problems that uh, Miss Miss may have, but uh, we understand the software and needs improvement. But so um, some users commented that uh, sometimes the update after a game has been updated, um, misplay sort of doesn't work with that game anymore. So how is the software team plan to uh, address that? Issue? Can you repeat that one more time? Can you read the review? So this is what the review said. So quote, uh, seems like a great way to be rewarded for playing games that you would already play. Just know that if you update any of the games you run, the risk of no longer being awarded points for playing them, even if you access the update through misplay. Uh, hence the two stars updated my fastest, updated my fastest point earner. Um, I guess the game and end quote. So, so how does your team plan on uh, addressing this issue of game updating and sometimes uh, disconnecting? Yeah, with um, uh, if a game updates, uh, it should still work. I, I don't know why um, he's saying that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to look into that. If you can like send me that review, uh, we can dig into the user's name and see what he did. Maybe he did something different. But in theory, um, we don't rely on, on uh, like from a software perspective, it should work. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know more about uh, this user, like what's their, what's their username and all that stuff. So um, if you can send me a screenshot of, the, of that feedback, I'll, uh, I'll look, we'll look into it for sure. Like it's, it's, it sounds like a scenario that shouldn't happen um, because I think it would be obviously a big problem if every time someone updates, uh, it breaks your ability to get points. Perfect. If I, if I find it, I will definitely send it to you. And uh, I, I guess uh, to finish this off, I'll actually hand it back to Camilla. Yes, of course. So um, what advice would you give to yourself when you were in CJEP or university? And um, yeah, what would you say? Um, study hard, <laughs> which um, I, I, I did. But also, you know, uh, don't like study hard and, 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 and take your grades very seriously. It's very important. But I would say also try building like a side project because it shows like you're extra passionate about something if it's beyond just what your school is asking from you. And then the last thing is I would say cherish your friendships and build a lot of build as many friendships as you can in university and CSHIP because it's honestly the best time of your life from a from a like uh, your ability to meet so many people uh, that are very smart and very like uh, alike. Um, and so build a lot of those friendships and, and, uh, keep, keep those friendships, uh, you know, as much as you can, as long as you can. And, uh, I'm sure in the future you'll, you'll be able to, um, help each other out and, and maybe start a business together. So whenever you can, like try attending like so social events at your universities and meet people. All right. Thank you for that very interesting answer. Um, I think that's it so much again for coming on the show. Any, um, final words from either yourself or Henry. Well, thanks, thanks guys for having me over. You know, like I, you know, CJEP and, and, and university is a very exciting time. So uh, you get to decide the, you know, the rest of your life. So have fun while, while uh, you know, learning and, and, and building cool things.